0: Welcome to Paintbrush and Ivories, the podcast for artists and curious creatives that connects creativity with the heart and soul. I'm Michelle Walker, and I'm here with my creative soul sister, Jennifer Ruth Russell. Hey, Jennifer. Hey, Michelle. So good to be here once again. It is lovely. So welcome to this conversation that we're about to have. I'm loving it because this whole topic of critics, fans and fairy tales is such a crucial one in terms of how we are as artists. So I'd love for us to hear some of your thoughts, Jen, right from the outset when we were talking about it. What's this topic got for you? This topic to me is one of the main core issues of my
1: entire life. Critics, fans and fairy tales, starting with critics. I used to be in fear of critics and I feel like I'm still in that place of mastering this, I don't feel like I'm quite there yet. Maybe my whole life is about this place. And I've talked so many times too about, you know, believing in yourself and having faith in yourself. Yes. You can have a hundred fans and sometimes fans can just fill up the empty air. They're kind of that place of like, wow, oh, these people love me. That must be, I. that must mean I'm okay. And then you have one critic and it, it deflates all the fans, whatever they've had to say. So it feels like it's it's such a, a balancing act for me of really keeping my center of self-love, uh, I would say more than anything else, that fans and critics come and go. But the worst critic of all is the one that is within me. Yeah. You know, and may I always be the ultimate fan for myself. Yeah. And to me, fairy tales will come in a little bit, but I'd love to hear your your take on critics and fans.
0: Well, it's interesting when I thought about this topic, I was very purposefully talking about fans being positive, critics being negative, and the whole fantasy land that we can get drawn into as artists thinking that we have to have, you know, a thousand of these or 10,000 of those kind of people in our lives and none of the other and I don't really believe that but I think that there's a bit of a focus you know when I watch other artists I watch what other artists talk about perhaps some of the leaders in the visual arts world where I kind of swim I guess and there's certainly a lot of focus on how do you grow your fan base you know what does that mean and there's a lot of validity in that and I'm not I'm not hosing that down at all and I think what it has meant for me is fans are not always good and critics are not always bad. I think that's probably one of the things maybe at the superficial level that's what it comes across as. So how do you define Mm -hmm. a critic when you talk about a critic and this whole thing being part of your lifelong journey as an artist? Describe for me your critic what you're thinking of when you say that.
1: Mm, that's a big question.
0: <laughs>
1: that's a big question. Let's see if I can. It's like asking me to play, uh, to paint a, like a 25 foot canvas, right? Um, <laughs> the critic is any place of disapproval for me, you know, any disapproval. And, and most of the time, it's an imagined place within my own mind. And it's interesting because let's say somebody sends me an email, they didn't quite like something and they're telling me about it. I will go away from that and have to absorb that. And I go through a whole process of it. And many times I'll come back and read the email and go, oh, they really didn't even say too much. And I took it somewhere completely into this huge red zone. I guess I'll call it the red zone that had nothing to do with it. So that's why I say to me, it is like, What is really important if somebody has some constructive criticism? It is like gold. Absolutely. I will tell you about something that happened. Um, This is an illustration of it. I have been going around L.A. singing for spiritual centers. I started at Agape International Spiritual Center, which is a huge place. And there are many fans there that loved and adored me. Okay, so I had built up this idea of myself from them. Right. And also, I'm working on my own self love and self esteem and all that. And I started singing at this smaller, much smaller center in Hollywood. And there were a lot of regulations there. Um, I couldn't play the piano. I had to have somebody else play the piano. And he is somebody that is very famous in playing the piano, but he He never could quite get the part that I felt comfortable with. And I think that happens a lot when you're used to your own palette or my own keyboard, I'm playing the piano and singing. This is my comfort zone. This is how I write my songs. So after performing there about three times, he sent me an email and said, we don't really think that you fit, you know, that you are really um, what we're looking for. We're looking for much more for stage singers. And this was my interpretation, more Broadway and cabaret, which I am not. And that hit me hard when I first read that. And then I was like, of course, I'm not. I'm not fitting there because what I do is so very different. And it actually strengthened what I do. It actually strengthened that conversation when somebody says, hey, would you mind covering this song? And I feel that place in my belly that says no. I really say no, because that's not who I am. I really, if you want a song that covers this, uh, this subject and will get people to really feel into their heart about it, I'm your girl. But if you want me to sing some, some cutesy little light tune that'll make everybody feel good and walk away thinking, Oh, I've, I've done my spiritual work for the week. I'm not your girl. And it really helped me get clear about who I am. And I thank that guy now for sending me that email. So that's just a little bit, too, of how I want to say there's a fairy tale. If I had this many fans, I would be cool. I would be fine. I would be able to do my work better. But I have seen it work just the opposite. Where many artists, especially musicians, when they get a lot of fame before they really know who they are, they can't handle it. It messes with their head because they haven't really owned themselves. They don't know who they are yet. so i think fans and critics have so much to do with us coming into that place of maturity of who we are and i would say the fairy tale (laughs) the fairy tale in this story is like oh if i have at least thirty thousand people that like me on instagram then i will be okay and then i I will be at this certain level that is a fairy tale that certain level i don't think it ever really comes in your lifetime because you're always continually growing and expanding to the next level to the next level you never arrive.
0: Yep, that's how the fairy tale runs for me as well. If I had this many followers or fans, then that means this, I've arrived. I'm I'm accomplished. I've, you know, reached a level that I can feel happy about. And I completely agree that the growth is a journey and it's lovely to stop and it is lovely to say oh, isn't that interesting, you know, that number of people are interested in what I do. But does it change what I do? Does it change what I'm interested in? No, not if mm. I'm clear about it in myself. And that that's where I completely agree that the fairy tale, in the way some people talk about it, is 10,000 fans, zero critics, life is good. You've made it, <laughs> right? That's part of it. <laughs> that's part of it. So I love, you know, fans for me are also every shade of the colour wheel as well because fans, if they just sort of say love what you do, love what you do, that's great, that's lovely a feedback and valuable in my day. But they also sometimes want to own what I do and that's awesome because Mm-mm, that mm. allows a stream of income and I just think that that is a reality. And so really, if we unpick the fairy tale, it's the 10,000 fans equals a good income. Zero critics means there's nothing happening that makes you feel bad about yourself and you've therefore arrived um, as an artist. So I think it is part of the picture for me that is very positive, like just a really small example. Two weeks ago, I was at at the art retreat and we had a market night for our tutors and fellow students. And it's a beautiful market because it's just everything there is handmade by a lot of people whose artwork you already know. And two years ago, when I was at a similar market, a lady bought a pair of earrings. Actually, two ladies bought a pair of earrings. And when I saw them again for the art retreat, they told me how much they adored those earrings and that they wore them every day. And they went with everything that they had. And they love, love, loved them. And they were wearing them when I saw them. And then they came back and it, one of the ladies bought one of my signature pieces, which was a very expensive piece, a handmade chain with multiple enamel, reversible enamel pieces on it. And I was really proud of that piece. And it was the most expensive thing on my market table. And she bought that and another pair of earrings. So, you know, that kind of a fan. Blessed be you, Anne. Thank you, Anne. Um, that kind of a fan, it's a delight to have in your life that people reflect the joy from mm-hmm. the work, from your endeavours, from your making, the things that you do with your hands and, you know, your creativity. Absolutely. That, there doesn't have to be a whole lot of them. <laughs> you know, they, that's that's the other gorgeous thing is <laughs> the, world, the world doesn't have to be knee-deep in in those kind of fans, I don't think. I think they're, it's a delight to have. I agree with you about The Critic. The critic for me was more the fear of the critic than the actual critic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, it's not so real for me at all these days, but for a long time, it was who do you think you are thinking that you're creative? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that someone on the outside world would reflect that fear back to me. And so I probably, like you, would over embellish the kinds of feedback if I even perceive the slightest bit of criticism in it. And yet Mm -hmm. I know now a good critique, which is for me a critic with a good eye whose wisdom I acknowledge and respect can see different things about my work. That is gold. Like that is a Mm -hmm. pure gift, that kind of Mm -hmm. critic that can critique your work and suggest things that is, you know, such a valuable part of, you know, the growth of my practice. Do you have critiques, you know, from, does Michael help with the critiques in your world or? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know,
1: I was thinking about this the other day, how I'm so grateful that I have somebody in my life that I can bounce things off of, because we can't stay in a vacuum. Uh, we, I guess we can, but for me, if I didn't have somebody to bounce something off of, I wouldn't it is a barometer for me, yeah. but before I think I talked about this before, there is also a barometer within myself like, oh, this is good. Or like it's those places. If I know it's really good and I have that, fl- that place of yes in my heart, in my body, I feel it everywhere. Nobody can really touch that piece. Maybe they can tweak it a little bit here and there on the on the edges. But if there's something like a song that I'm like, this sounds like a zillion other songs, this doesn't feel like it has any, what do you think? Mm. I have to ask somebody else, what do you think Mm. of this? And I I, you know, and a lot of times those songs will will become hits. And I'm always amazed. (laughs) Because I haven't had that feeling about them. you know, but you never know what people what people will like. You know, I I had a I remember the first CD that I did the adult CD, the first uh, one with the one, and I remember a dear friend that was my neighbor at the time. She came over. She goes, "I want twenty of them." She goes, "I want twenty CDs." That's when CDs were still around. I want twenty CDs because I want to give them to everybody I know at Christmas. You know, and oh. it, what a, what a gift! So I understand that. You know, that place when you have those fans that are just they want you to know how much how much you've meant to them. Yeah. And I keep knowing too. And I would like us to, to talk about the fairy tale in a little different way just for a moment, if you don't mind. I think that fairy tales used in a way of keeping you alive and giving you life are really helpful. Like the fantasy or the expectation of something juicy, like what would the best thing be to happen to your artistry? You know, can you go there? Can you imagine what would be the best thing? You know, I have one, one of my fairy tales, and I don't wanna call it a fairy tale because to me it's a real, it's a real desire is to have one of my songs in a hit movie. I mean, a movie that is a blockbuster around the world.
0: Woo-hoo. That's one of my dreams. Yeah.
1: So I guess, I guess we could call fairy tale dreams, but you know that, that place of like, how far can a
0: painting go in this world? Can I answer that? Because I'd love to talk. That's oh, I'd love for touching you on a, a really important point for me and something that's just come up in the last couple of weeks. So I was talking with a circle of friends men and women who I meet with and I love them. They're another circle of awesome minds and hearts. And I was talking about this transition that I feel like I'm in, which is really to fully embrace myself as an artist and recognizing as I've been doing that, that just recently I had a really strong epiphany that this is all I've ever wanted to do. The little girl in me connected to say, this is what I want to do. I've always wanted to be an artist, but it was never real, or I can't say good enough, but sort of feels like that. It was never grown up enough, and never solid enough, and secure enough to do it. So, you know, I was advised to head the other way. And if you haven't heard Jennifer's and my story, if you're listening to this, go and listen to the the creative journey because I talk a lot about the art science thing. But in acknowledging this young part of me that said, embrace it, I'm in joy, this is wonderful, this friend of mine was reflecting back um, and his name's Roger, so I just want to say hi, Roger. He talked to me about this memory of his, which is seeing Aboriginal artists in Central Australia and basically sitting on the land with canvases laid out on the soil, on the dirt, and making their art. And so they're not—they're not stressing about whether or not their painting's going to make it. You know, they're, it's not about that. What they're doing is telling about their connection to country. What they're doing is telling some of the stories of their spiritual connection to country, to land, mm-hmm. to the animals, to the sky, to Mother Earth. And that's what they're doing. And there's sort of nothing beyond that. And it's that doing is the whole encompassing of it. And I've been looking into some of those stories and reconnecting with some of the early Aboriginal artists in Australia. And Emily Gonwari was one of those artists that I've been following since I first learnt about her work. And she also reached a lot of fame before her death and a lot of notoriety because her painting especially her, one of her big ones is called Earth Creation and it topped the sales record for the first piece of work of Aboriginal art that sold for more than a million dollars and in a way that's a kind of a fairy tale but the truth mm-hmm. of the artwork so how far can that can an artwork go that piece went to the Venice Biennale it's you know it's an, a famed piece and it talks about what's most important to that artist. Mm-hmm. And, it, and all the other stuff is just, I guess, above and beyond. And I don't know if when Emily did that work, she was ever thinking about where that work might go. But, you know, how many people's lives and hearts that work has touched But that was not her business, you know, that she just did the business. She did the work that she had to do on the canvas to tell the story that she needed to tell. And everything beyond that is kind of none of her business. And I think that
1: Mm -hmm.
0: there's so many different aspects to the story of Aboriginal art. But where it really touched me was understanding that the work that I'm to do is just mine to do. And I need to take my focus off what that work does in the world, in terms of fans and critics and fairy tales, I just need to come back to the centering kind of heart space, which is where I create from, which is from my love of nature and my honouring of Mother Earth. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I love that question and I love the contemplation of it and looking at other artists who are internationally renowned where their focus is and where their their work is, is kind of really grounding and really anchoring for me to look at that and learn from that.
1: And maybe we could do a whole other episode around this, but the word expectation actually is something that I've had a dance with, trying to let go of expectations. And I've come across a teaching from St. Germain, who is the avatar of this age of Aquarius, And he says that expectation is a high consciousness to maintain that to expect intensely, because if you expect intensely, it will always manifest. And that to me is such a, a like, well, a dance between what we do of really expecting something incredible to happen, but let's hold back a little bit in case it doesn't, but we are taught through many different teachings to do our thing to the greatest level that we can without even thinking about the consequences to just do it out of the sheer love of it, like you were just speaking and to do it with that expectation of intense expectation. I mean, just to think those two things
0: together kind of excite me, like, (laughs) why not? Why not? Yeah, that's such an interesting take on the word expectation, because sometimes expectation it can be burdensome and I think it's all about the connection with our heart and our motivation that's underneath the expectation because sometimes where I find the shadow side of expectation is if I expect or if I see others, you know, have expectations of themselves and if it doesn't come off, they then make it mean something which is not real, is not true and it's usually Mm -hmm. a self-criticism or some kind of way of yeah not not believing in themselves so we're back to believing in ourselves the disappointment it is it's it can be a disappointment and Mm -hmm. and it's okay to be disappointed at times but I guess what I've come to I guess settle on for myself and my artistry is I want to touch the life of as many people as I can with my art and if that's you Great. If it's not, that's okay. Then someone beside you, mm-hmm. it's for someone else. You know, that sort of acceptance of if I keep doing my art as a spiritual practice, if I keep diving into what's important to me, what do I want to say? How do I want to say that? And, you know, learning techniques that help me expand the way that I can communicate that. It's really, you know, that's just a a joyful path to be on. And you know, I had a, I guess an, an experience recently where for sort of no apparent reason, and I may mean no apparent reason in terms of I hadn't been doing anything above and beyond in terms of promotions or marketing, but suddenly my YouTube channel followers were just like jumping every day, climbing, climbing, climbing. And I'm getting feedback and comments and having interactions with lots of people I've never met before. And that delights me. But I come back to my focus for YouTube in a way of being able to share tips and tricks in the studio, my studio schmucklets, but also my process because I know how much I love seeing other people's work in process. So that's all, you know, it's not about a numbers game. And I think the the tripping up of people is when the numbers, the metrics of what it is that we're doing becomes something that has a meaning beyond and then our expectations can get hooked up in the numbers growth and the numbers game, if you like, because that doesn't feel real. It feels yeah, like it should I want it should be just an a flow on a ripple effect, not the main game. Mm-hmm. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I have something to add to that with a different little different word structure around it. And I love this teaching. It came out of a a book called Endless Love by Glenda Green, who is an artist. And this amazing being appeared to her and, and said, I want you to draw a picture of me. And it happened to be Yeshua. And she documented everything that happened as this, it was actually a image was blazed in her brain in her third eye that she kept seeing. And the day that she completed the painting, it left. I mean, it just it's just amazing story. As an artist, you should you should read it because it's just amazing that way. But he said some amazing things to her, and one thing was, it's always about love, and it's not about the structure. And we could look at those numbers today as being the structure. Mm-hmm. We could look about you know a, an art show or a concert. Or, you know, we think that this is the level, but it's just the structure and the structure is not really real. It is part of the illusion of this dimension, but the love is real. (laughs) And when we talk about the fan and the critic, and if we can absolutely put it across that blue flame of love, we'll see the value of both of those. Like you said, there's always so much value there on, on both that place of, When you're not really have a place of high self esteem and in love with yourself, your fans kind of like, why would anybody want to be my fan? You know, you can can have that conversation or if somebody is my fan, they must not know anything, right? They mustn't be very discerning, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right, but as you lift up into your own value of what you're doing, then your fans become something just treasured much different than that. And the critics become, like you said, just like, that feedback, because to me, everything that that comes to me is a mirror of how I'm believing in my own self. Everyone that says something to me is a belief. And so when somebody comes back to me and says, Oh, my God, that song just opened my heart, blah, 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 blah. And I just and I'm able to hear it and receive it and take it in. The circle has completed itself. Yeah. And that's beautiful. That to me is the most beautiful place to be with our artistry.
0: I, I agree. And I just wanted to reflect on a, an experience that I had that you were part of. And that was the launch of my book, 20,000 Brushstrokes. That day, one could argue that I had the 80 people who turned up to the book launch were fans. But they were much more than that. You know, they were they were mm-hmm. friends, they were family, they were deep beloved souls that know me and that have been on this journey with me. And that bit of artistry, that bit of creativity that I put on a page and between two covers was very much a work of the heart of really deeply telling my own story and what I thought mattered in the world. And being surrounded and having that joy and that rejoicing it honestly was, apart from my wedding day to Ian, it's the second happiest, most joyful day of my life, that book launch, because of that community of rejoicing that went on. And I felt good about what I'd done and people came along to help me celebrate that. And it was such an amazing mm. experience. You know, that was that was a fairy tale. That utterly was a fairy tale in all elements of you know, the, the sort of traditional once upon a time and then this happened and then, you know, mm. she lived happily ever after. It was quite a, a magical experience. It was. He, I got to witness it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but I have to say also, it was a wonderful revelation of the artistry of your relationships. Yes. We wanted to put that in there. Yes, it was. Yes. Beautiful. Was such a great memory for me as well.
0: Yeah, and, and what a gift that those people turning up and just being there in that moment is for me. So I feel like the, you know, the, these sort of terms are quite expansive and rubbery, and we can substitute fan with with beloved friend or you know fan with complete stranger that shares a, a, a joy or a, a love of certain things that I do. And critic can be both a way shower, you know, like a way bearer of the next step, or they can just be a reflection of an inner voice, an inner doubt on the outside coming back for me to be able to look at. And I say yes to all the fairy tales.
1: (laughs) Uh, And I want to say just one thing too, because we are, it sounds like we're winding up here. I want to say Be a fan, you know, to me, it's important as an artist to be a fan of other people's work and to let them know, you know, I I love it when people let me know people I don't even know. And they'll say something like, you know, I put my my two and four year old to sleep every night with the whole Pona Pona prayer chant. Mm. And that to me is like, that is such a beautiful gift. And someone took the time to tell me that. And it's just beautiful. It's just grist for the beautiful mill of of my artistry. And I always think that, you know, tell people how much you love their artistry and what they're doing. I think it's, it's such a valuable thing
0: to do for yourself. And it's part of the joy of my day is when I go on and look at what the artists are that I follow are doing and send them messages that, you know, it might just be I love this or wow, that. That colour scheme, I've never thought of putting those colours together. You know, whatever it is that bubbles up for me, that is part of me being an artist is being a fan of others. I love that you raise that because that is definitely a, a joy, being part of that circle of conversation. And I've got to say that when it's happened, when I've been receiving that from complete strangers, it, it sometimes leads to lovely connections and I found that when I've reached out and made comment, people are really generous in the way they respond and it's started a bunch of conversations and that's been a real rich part of my practice is not just what I put onto my canvas but the conversations that I get to have and is technology mm-hmm. fantastic that we can do that with people and artists that we adore all over the world. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> what an amazing time (laughs) yes yes i want to i want to just um i guess share one last piece as we're wrapping and that was a bit of wisdom that i picked up from nicholas wilton and he said fans and critics don't pay attention to any of it and i get what he's saying about that and i think you know we've talked about other ways where paying attention to fans and critics can be really valuable but there's also another level where that's what we're talking about when we're saying our business is really to concentrate on being centered in our practice and to be true to ourselves and ensuring that when we create, that we're creating from the deepest, most passionate, connected part of ourselves and that everything else that happens after that is kind of none of our business. And I get that. I guess that's a sort of another way of looking at this whole topic and I thought that that was a valuable bit of insight and a perspective for us to think about beautiful anything else to share any other inspiration around this topic that you'd like to end on
1: no I think I'm done
0: well thank you so much for being part of this conversation with me Jennifer talking about fans critics Mm. and fairy tales Mm -hmm. lovely to be here as always having a chance to chat about things that matter to us and that really buoy us up in our own creative practice
1: yes thank you
0: thank you michelle it's always fun to talk with you delicious and if anyone's listening and would like to send us send a comment or share a thought with us we would love to hear from you There are all our contact details in the show notes, but you can get in touch with Jennifer at JenniferRuthRussell.com and me at MichelleWalkerArt.com. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, have a great week, everyone. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Yes. Bye for now. Bye for now.